Theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why, theirs but to do and die. Into the valley of death rode the 600. These words are not part of our Torah portion this week, but they are part of the second stanza of the poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson, The Charge of the Light Brigade, and they're related to what we'll talk about today. Hello, and welcome to Beth Takun and our brief discussion of Torah portion Chukat. I'm Tim Pell, and I'm glad you're here. Let's dive in. Parsha Chukat can be found in the book of Numbers, chapters 19 to 21, and the first verse of chapter 22. There we start with the law of the red heifer before the deaths of Miriam and Aaron, which begins the passing of that generation. The Jews complain that they're thirsty, and Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, as God instructs him to do, hits it and angers God. The Israelites are attacked by snakes, and finally, they are victorious in battle against Sihon and Og. Quite a bit going on, and that's not everything. So while I'm not going to review all the lessons this portion is teaching us, I do want to draw your attention to one in particular, the para aduma, the law of the red heifer. So let's read through the parts of chapter 19 together, beginning in verse 1, and I'll be reading from the art scroll Chumash. Adonai spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the decree of the Torah, Chukat HaTorah, which Adonai has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and they shall take to you a completely red cow, which is without blemish, and upon which a yoke has not come. You shall give it to Eleazar the Kohen, he shall take it out to the outside of the camp, and someone shall slaughter it in his presence." Eleazar the Kohen shall take some of its blood with his forefinger and sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tent of meeting seven times. Someone shall burn the cow before his eyes, its hide and its flesh and its blood. With its dung shall he burn. The Kohen shall take cedar wood, hyssop, and crimson thread, and he shall throw them into the burning of the cow. The Kohen shall immerse his clothing and immerse himself in water, and afterward he may enter the camp." and the Kohen shall remain contaminated until the evening. The one who burns it shall immerse his clothing in water and immerse himself in water, and he shall remain contaminated until the evening. A pure man shall gather the ash of the cow and place it outside the camp in a pure place. For the assembly of Israel it shall remain as a safekeeping for water of sprinkling. It is for purification. The one who gathers the ash of the cow shall immerse his clothing and remain contaminated until the evening. It shall be for the children of Israel and for the proselyte who dwells among them as an eternal decree. Now the next five verses, 11 through 16, detail the reason for this command, uh, which is dealing with uh, contamination due to contact with the dead. So picking up in verse 17. They shall take for the contaminated person some of the ashes of the burning of the purification animal and put upon it spring water in a vessel. A pure man shall take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle upon the tent, upon all the vessels, upon the people who were there, and upon the one who touched the bone, or the slain one, or the one that died, or the grave. The pure person shall sprinkle upon the contaminated person on the third day, and on the seventh day, and shall purify him on the seventh day. 
Then he shall immerse his clothing and immerse himself in water and become purified in the evening. But a man who becomes contaminated and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from the midst of the congregation. If he shall have contaminated the sanctuary of Adonai, because the water of sprinkling has not been thrown upon him, he is contaminated. This shall be for them an eternal decree. And the one who sprinkles the water of sprinkling shall immerse his clothing, and one who touches water of sprinkling shall be contaminated until the evening. Anything that the contaminated one may touch shall become contaminated, and the person who touches him shall become contaminated until evening. While the instructions are clear here, uh, that this has to do with being pure bef- uh, while entering into the tabernacle, the why or how is a mystery. The pure are made impure, the impure made pure, etc. What does this mean for the Israelites, and why now? These days, when I give my five-year-old son instruction, he often asks why, or gives some reason why he would rather not comply, and usually in a dramatic, emotional way. Clean your room. Why? Eat your carrots. I just don't like them which isn't true, by the way. Many times I give him a reason why he should obey. Many times I don't, but it's not for lack of a reason why. When I don't give him a reason, it's either because the reason is too complex for him to understand or because his brain simply needs to be wired to obey his father and his mother. So on the one hand, He needs to have his conscious mind exercised by being shown the reason for an instruction. Eventually, as he grows, he'll recognize the patterns that emerge from deciding to obey his father, and he'll learn to make right decisions on his own. On the other hand, he needs for his unconscious mind, the seat of his instinctive behaviors, to be honed in the only way possible. Simple, repeated consistent obedience without understanding why. Let's talk a little bit about our conscious and unconscious minds. Now, I come from the world of marketing, and it's well known there that every purchasing decision, really any decision a person makes, is by nature an emotional decision. That's why so much effort is made and dollars spent in affecting the right emotion in the consumer that leads to a specific behavior whether it's signing up for an email subscription or referring a friend or purchasing that particular shampoo. You name it, it's all about emotions. While our rational mind, our conscious mind, seated in the prefrontal cortex, helps us understand all the reasons for taking one course of action or another in any one moment, it's actually our emotional mind, the unconscious mind, seated in the amygdala, that ultimately makes the decision. In fact, it's well established that people who suffer from a damaged amygdala, it's a hard word to say, suffer from deficient decision-making abilities. They can reason all day long, but they can't choose a shampoo. And it should be noted, too, that the emotional mind always kicks in first, not the rational mind. Often what we think of as rational behavior is only the rationalization of the behavior we've already chosen with our emotional mind before even weighing it at all. So, what does this have to do with chukat? The commandments, the mitzvot, in the Torah are generally classified into three categories. 
Edot, Mishpatim, and Chukim. Edot are the commandments which are testimonies, commemorating certain biblical events like the exodus from Egypt. Mishpatim are the commandments which are understandable by human reason as their ethical, moral, and social outcomes are obvious. Chukim are the commandments which are purely spiritual in the sense that their reason for being hasn't been given. And this portion, Chukat, contains what many have called the quintessential example of Chukim, the law of the red heifer. The reason this decree has been perplexing for so long and and for so many people, including, tradition tells us, Solomon, is because the details of the red heifer legislation are not simply devoid of logic. They appear to defy logic in that contact with that cow defiles the ritually pure while purifying the ritually impure. Huh? Of course, sitting as we are in the year 2022 and having the benefit of observing the myriad discussions and hypotheses that have been written and passed down over the ages, not to mention that we as followers of Yeshua identify key elements of the red heifer as symbols of him and the work he accomplished, we can only imagine the bewilderment of the Israelites at the hearing of this decree. For the people who constantly ask why, this might just have shut them up. (laughs) You want to keep asking me why? I'll give you the strangest command you could think of. While we cannot yet understand the reasons behind the chukim, we can appreciate their value and power. And I think it's this. Irrational instincts cannot be defeated by rational, well-reasoned commands. Logic has limits. Have you ever tried to reason with an unreasonable person? It goes nowhere. It's a waste of time. Now, men, if you're watching this with your wife right now, just keep your mouth shut. Just don't say anything, okay? (laughs) The point is, despite the apparent spiritual growth of the Israelites by them, digging the wells together, fighting Sichon and Og together, and singing a song together. They still ask for reasons why, or have given reasons why they do not like this or that aspect of their circumstance. That is, complaining, grumbling. They were still spiritually young. They wanted a reason. In fact, later on in the portion, facing Sichon represents our perpetual battle with our own human reasoning. In their youth, they lacked faith, not yet understanding that the real reasoning, God's reasoning, is higher than what they could possibly understand at the time. They also hadn't yet solidified sincere love for God and a kind of soldier's devotion to the cause, though we see some evidence of it, unlike the 600 in the charge of the Light Brigade, who faithfully acted out of duty and brotherhood and were honored for it. The word hukat means decree of and comes from the root word that means to engrave, hakika. When we behave in accordance with these decrees, we are effectively engraving, cutting deep behavioral pathways into the nefesh, thus strengthening our ability to rule over the flesh. These are immutable laws, the kind we etch in stone. Irrational instincts, 
cannot be defeated by rational, well-reasoned commands. Only the chukim, decrees whose reasons have not yet been revealed, can reshape the unconscious emotional mind, honing our instincts, resulting in increasingly holy behavior that will ultimately contribute to tikkun olam, redemption of the world. And it cannot be achieved in any other way. Believe me, the reasons will come, but they will always and only come in God's time, not ours. Whether we understand a mitzvah or not, that mitzvah is an expression of the divine will. What commandments may seem irra- irrational to us are, in fact, super-rational, higher than our reasoning. Here's a good practice. While God certainly wants us to know the reasoning behind his decrees, treat all of his mitzvot as if their reasoning has not been revealed. Obedience to God's commandments must never be the result of the satisfaction of your reasoning, but because Adonai simply instructs you to do so. Have faith in the wisdom that is greater than your own. You must courageously strive to understand what you can of God's will and in humility accept what you cannot. So ask yourself, what are the things God has asked of you that you find so hard to do? And then ask yourself why. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, in his book, God in Search of Man, wrote something beautiful that I will alter slightly here for our purposes. Sorry, Rabbi. (laughs) In carrying out one of the chukim, we unseal the wells of faith. We are asked to take a leap of action rather than a leap of reason. We are asked to surpass our needs, to do more than we understand in order to understand more than we do. In carrying out the decree of the Torah, we are ushered into the presence of spiritual meaning. Through the joy of deeds, we learn to be certain of the here-ness of God. Right living is a way to right thinking. May God bless you, and may he make us all into the people he wants us to be. Shabbat Shalom.